0: I have good news for you this morning. You know, I can remember back when uh, I was in a youth group and a little guy, maybe, we were taught uh, little phrases, you know, like, if you're happy and you know it, say what? Well, it went on from there and it said, uh, then we changed it to, if you're happy and you know it, let your face show it. Today's a great day, if you think about it. It's the day the Lord hath made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. But before I begin this morning, I want to help, uh, maybe, maybe it'll help me put things in perspective, maybe it'll help you. Uh, before I get into the message, I believe God has laid on my heart for you today. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, about perspective in the church, about the body of Christ. I was putting the final touches on my sermon last Friday when I began to, out of nowhere, think about a couple many of you should know about. How many of you here know about Corey and Janice Lemke? For those of you who do not know of them, they were missionaries to the people in Re- Ukraine for years. They left Ukraine just before the Russians invaded Crimea in 2014. Corey and Janice were supported by this congregation during the time they preached the gospel. They brought... Uh, Ukrainians to the saving knowledge of uh, Jesus Christ. They developed godly leaders, and they established churches in country. And I could not help this morning but to think about my brothers and sisters in Christ who are at this moment being stalked by the invaders who want to eliminate any presence of freedom, especially the church. I'm wondering in this moment if if there are those in the church in Ukraine Huddled somewhere in a dark, scary place, with a door locked, waiting for that knock on the door. I'm wondering, also at this moment, if we here today really—if we really know what fear is, what the next moment may bring—if we really might know that. I believe our fears and concerns pale in the perspective of the present moment of the church in in Ukraine. So as we sit at these, in these comfortable pews this morning in this warm, wonderful, comfortable facility, I'm also wondering if we fear, if what we fear, if what upsets us the most, who may have done us wrong, is really all that important. When, life, when a life in Christ in perspective in Ukraine comes to us live today, let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning for those of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. I pray for the people of Ukraine. I pray, Father, that your will would be done, that your power would be displayed, and that they would find strength and courage to cope with what is really serious, what's really serious in their lives today, and ask us in Jesus name. Amen. Well, thank you for allowing me to get that off of my heart this morning. I want to, our final time with you today, as far as my preaching is concerned, uh, Rob and Sue are somewhere in the air right now, flying home, flying back to you from Florida. And uh, they've had a great time. Rediscovering the power, or maybe discovering it for the first time. I want to start by reading a couple of passages of scripture that says it much better than I can. And they'll be on the overhead, and you can read along if you'd like. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 1 through 5, Paul writes to a young preacher in Ephesus, the church there, and he says, "But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving of the good, they will be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with these people, Paul said. And also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul says to the church in Corinth, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had no other agenda. The church should have no other agenda, really other than Jesus and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Over the past two Sundays, uh, we have discussed rediscovering the passion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as rediscovering the promises of God. We concluded uh, that without a passion for the good news of the gospel, the message of what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us will not have much meaning, especially on those that are lost in their sins. Also, even with a passion passion for the gospel, not knowing the promises of God in Scripture creates a vacuum that leaves a person wanting of what God has for them. In that case, what we think is passion sometimes is really nothing more than uncontrolled human emotion. Today we're going to add to that ingredient that completes what God has intended for us all here today. And that is the power of God in the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit freely at work in a believer's life, we are only flesh and blood in temporary form. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 26 says it better than I can. Let me just read that to you this morning. As soon as I can find it. I had it marked. There we go. In chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul has a statement to the Christians in in, uh, in Galatia. And he says, you know, I'm just shocked. I'm shocked uh, at the news that you have turned away from the gospel. You've turned to another gospel, another doctrine, another teaching. Chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. Or you will be destroyed by each other. Then he says. So I, so I say live by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict. My, my, that is a real war when you think about it. The war between the spirit of God and our sinful nature. The acts of sinful nature are obvious, he says, Paul says to them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and and the like. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that, God did. But the fruit of the Spirit, the opposite is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Wow. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, there's no real love. Without the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, there's no real joy. There's no real peace. There's no real possibility of real patience with others. There's no acts of real kindness without the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no, no goodness Certainly no faithfulness. Remember last week we talked about it's our faith that opens the door to the promises of God, which unlocks those doors. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no gentleness, no self-control. We are adrift in this sea of life without the power of the Holy Spirit of God. All of the above is the future of those mentioned that uh, Paul talked to in, in the first chapter of Galatians 6. Those who have turned away, Once they had it in their hands, they had it. They had the power of God. They had the Holy Spirit. And they decided they wanted to return to their old ways. It was easier to not rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. They've decided to just roll the dice. Let the chips fall where they may. I remind you that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in a city called Galatia. These people have taken on the name of Christian. They have put on the Christian faith for a time until the desires of the flesh became so strong that they have abandoned their belief in Jesus Christ for the simpler, more desirable things of life. I see one of those harsh promises that I talked about last week in verse 21. You shall not, you shall not enter the kingdom of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. I have said all that, so I can say this this morning. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in a person's life in order to travel this road of life successfully into eternity with God. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will get to the Father except through me and through his power. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, it's like like having the most elaborate. Wow, elaborate. I was looking around this morning. What an elaborate lighting system we have. But what if we didn't know where the switch was? What if we didn't even know what the switch did? It's like having the most expensive, powerful car there is and not having possession of the key that unlocks that power. I, I'm reminded of a story of a man who was, lived, he was a city dweller, dweller and he decided to live out in the country and he bought a house out in the country and that and the house had a wood fireplace in it. He'd never had a fireplace that needed wood before. So he did a little, re, little research and he found out he had to go out and get some wood and bring it into the house. So then he had to get some tools to do that. And he went to the hardware store and bought this chainsaw that was there, the biggest one he could find picked it up, and started walking out with it, and the salesman said, wait a minute, I need to give you some instruction. No, I'll figure it out myself. And the the salesman said, hey, you picked out a good saw, that should cut about two cords a day. About a couple weeks later, this guy comes back, and he's really angry, and he hands his chainsaw to the guy, and says, this doesn't work. And the salesman took the saw, flipped the switch, pulled the cord, and the guy said, what's that sound? (laughs) That's a kind of a Rhetorical joke, you have to think about that one (laughs) What's that sound? Wow, is that the Holy Spirit? You know Paul called these people in the church, he called them whitewashed fences Looking good on the outside, but nothing going for them on the inside Their offerings to God, their duty-bound service to the church was only a performance that brought them just a moment of satisfaction. I'm thinking that by now we may all want to know more about the power of the Holy Spirit. I certainly do, and how to acquire His, His power for our lives, maybe require, reacquire His power for our lives. So let's start from the beginning. You have an outline in your bullet, and you can follow along. There's some questions there that I want to try to answer. The first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? As a child growing up in church, and Gloria said the same thing to me, as we grew up in our, in our church, in maybe even in a Sunday school class, and in our youth group, we never heard the word, the name of the Holy Spirit. Never heard it. Oh, once in a while, somebody would throw out the word Holy Ghost, and as a kid, who wants anything to do with a ghost? You know what I mean? No teaching. He is the third personality of the Godhead. He is the third personality of the Trinity. And I use the term personality because later on we will see that the Holy Spirit has feelings. Secondly, when did the Holy Spirit first appear in Scripture? he, He appeared, first of all, from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, he was hovering over the waters of the earth, the Spirit of God was. Also in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 26, we hear God saying, let us make man in our own image. You read John in his letters later on in the New Testament. John says, God is spirit. Let us make man in our own image. Third question, what are some places in Scripture where the spirit of God is prominent? That's an easy one because on just about every page of your Bible. You will find some reference to the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament and the New, his power is expressed in some way on just about every page of your Bible. The Holy Spirit of God is not some charismatic phenomenon. He is an essential part of God's effort to not only primarily bring man to salvation but to guide man through his this life toward eternity with him. Fourth question, what does a person when does a person receive the power of the holy spirit? I can find no other place. I can find no other place where the holy spirit is actually gifted to an individual more than acts chapter 2 verse 38 through 41 throughout the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has always more or less been on call, so to speak. When man needed some power to do something, God provided his power through the Holy Spirit. There are no times when he actually takes up residence in a person's life until Peter makes that announcement in Acts 2.38. You shall receive If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and repent of it, be obedient to baptism, as Scripture calls for, your sins will be forgiven, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a promise. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. I mean, how close can he get? other than us allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. This is actually a fulfillment of one of God's promises in Acts 1.8 when he said, you shall be my witnesses when you what? When you receive power, Acts 1.8. The fifth question I have is, what is the main reason for the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life? Why? Why? Along with being the power source for a Christian, the Holy Spirit has been given. He has been given the responsibility to convict us of, a, of sin in our lives. To comfort us upon our repentance of that sin. And to lead us into all truth by giving us guidance and directions. I believe he speaks to us today. If we'll listen. And it's all in that order, by the way. Conviction, repentance, comfort. You see, God is sequential. If you haven't noticed in your study of, of God's word, everything he never does anything willy-nilly. Everything he, has, everything he has done and is doing and will do is sequential. There is a sequence to it. And if man separates that sequence in any way, I don't know what he'll do about it. Man needs to be very careful what God's plan is. For the church... For salvation. Finally, number six, what will cause the Holy Spirit to exit a person's life? The first thing we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit of God and His power will not push His way into our lives, He stands at the door and knocks. He needs to be accepted into our lives. He needs to be invited into our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. He will not stay if he's not wanted. That probably sounds a bit simplistic, but the truth is simple. When you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. Free from what? My goodness. Free from sin. I'm really not sure if many Christians understand or even know about the Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Because I have in the span of my ministry, I've had people in the church express shock when they find out about this passage. It's the one that says God has, take, God has taken up residence in our lives. We are his temple. People are shocked because they were so positive that God resided in a building where the church met. Kind of like the temple, I suppose, in the Old Testament and in the New, prior to the cross. God did dwell in the temple. That was his home. But after the cross, he desires to take residence up in you and me. A few minutes ago, I said the Holy Spirit has feelings. What did I mean by that? Did I mean that uh, he gets his feelings hurt? Possibly so. But it goes much deeper than that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one. We're all in this together. We're all members of one body. I think that phrase right there has a lot to do with unity. (laughs) In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your sin. Don't go to sleep at night thinking you're right when you're wrong. Because the devil doesn't sleep. He works in our, in our subconscious. Sometimes we'll get up, then we'll get up in the morning more angry than we were when we went to bed. That's all Paul's saying. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those that are in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others, for encouraging others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And listen to this, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Wow. Now, I'm just not sure how how long the Holy Spirit of God allows any of the ungodly things to go on before it affects him in a negative way. But I would strongly suggest we not try to find out. I've had Christians tell me, well, I believe God loves me unconditionally, so therefore he would never turn his back on me. And I say, oh, Really? Well, I read where God turned his back on his own son, Jesus Christ, when he took my sins and your sins on him. I read in Lamentations chapter 3, where God ceased listening to the prophet Jeremiah's prayers. Because he just put a cloud between him and Jeremiah and didn't listen to his prayers anymore because of Jeremiah's constant grumbling, griping, and groaning. Yes, God loves you and me unconditionally. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right, Bill? Wow. What kind of love is that? But we do not want to test his patience when we continue to sin. Not caring what the Holy Spirit is feeling. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, 26, 27. Do not go on sinning willfully. For there remains no sacrifice. Let's just wrap this up with these words. Uh, whether you are new to the faith, and maybe you're here today. Or maybe you've been in the church for 50 years and I know you're here today. There will be for the new believer and there will be for the longtime veteran of the faith times when we tried to go it alone in this life. That's just human Nature. All I'm saying today is that for the new Christian, listen when someone gives direction regarding your decisions in life. And if you were a veteran of the Christian faith, you ought to know better. And you ought to rediscover the power of God through the Holy Spirit. You do not want to get caught at. to You do not want to get to the point where you think you can roll the dice and go it alone like those in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Just remember, the same power that hovered over the waters prior to creation, the same power that parted the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape 400 years of Egyptian slavery and into God's arms, so to speak. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead The same power that healed the lame man at the temple in Acts chapter 3. That's the same power. That is the power that uh, now resides in those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And we should know him as our Savior. And if you're at a point in your life where you would love to make that confession of faith I'm sure one of the elders will be over there at the prayer corner after the service this morning and don't think that you're just doing that to join the church this is not an initiation thing somewhere in scripture the Lord says if a man will confess me if you'll confess me before man I'll confess you before my father who is in heaven wow it takes power it takes courage It takes courage to worship. I'm thinking of those people in Ukraine right now, probably nighttime there, huddled in those scary places, worshiping, praying. Here we are, worshiping and praying. Father in heaven, we're grateful and thankful today, God, for your word, thankful, Father, for uh, the power that uh, dispenses that word to us in a real way, God, and... uh, I just pray that each of us have had that third year working today where the Spirit, we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God, help us, Father, to be more accurate in our understanding of your word and of our responsibility as Christians. Thank you, God, for our freedom. Thank you for all these things that we have that that brings us comfort and security. But I pray, Father, again this morning that you just protect those, Father, that don't have those things. Yet in your eyes, God, they're just as valuable as we are. Grateful and thankful. Father, give uh, Rob and Sue a safe trip home now. Bring them back refreshed. Help this body, Father. uh, Just encourage them uh, with their response to the gospel. Because I know Rob preaches the gospel. He teaches the gospel. And so we'll give you all the praise and the glory this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Larry, thank you for being here these past three weeks. This has been an honor to have you, and it's been, it's been great. Thank you for your messages. Would you stand with me as we close our service here? Larry specifically asked that we close the services with the powerful chorus, All Hail King Jesus. So we'll do that and then have another song about power. Hail King Jesus